Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to the Reluctant Agilist. Today, Jessica Katz is here, and we're going to talk all about money and how you can get more of it and how you can find out how much other people are getting. Um, so we're going to get into all that in a second. Jessica's put together a lot of research for the past couple of years on salary information. She's been collecting for people in the Agile, mostly Agile coaching space, right? Yeah, that's correct. Agile coaching. Um, so before we jump into that, would you mind sharing a little bit about your background for the folks who might not be familiar with you and your work? Sure. Um, so the background I have is that I started in project management, traditional project management, many moons ago. <laughs> and um, the uh, I got I was in an organization and this hotshot developer goes, we should be doing Scrum. And that organization was deeply waterfall project management and my mentality was deeply waterfall project management. And I said, you're full of it. There's no way Scrum will work. Now, the reality is that when I have that kind of reaction, it's time for me to do some research. So I did research and went, okay, maybe Scrum would work. Let's try it. And <laughs> what we found was that Scrum worked in the pocket we were in, but then okay. it bumped up against the rest of the organization. Um, I, however, found a love of it. I, I found... I got to let go of nagging people all day long. I got to be a truth teller where we made decisions based on truth. Okay. I got to let go of the expectation that a plan could ever be plus or minus 5% accurate. Um, <laughs> I, have this, I have this saying I like to bring to bear called a plan is a lie we all agree to. One day it will be on a t-shirt. So that is sort of my, um, when I'm working with project managers, that's the, that's the like yeah. thread I like to pull. You know, uh, what's the last time that you had a, a project plan work out perfectly 100% as you di dictated it at the beginning? Never. Never. No. <laughs> so <laughs> the agility really called my name that way. And I started as a scrum master. I moved from that original organization into several others, found I was really good at getting a team to high maturity. So okay. we, we moved, I found Lisa Adkins work on coaching agile teams and then moved into the agile coaching world, which is essentially helping lots of people move to a level of maturity and whether it be an agile or leadership or emotional intelligence or conflict management or communication, that's sort of my niche area. Okay. So now I have my own business. I do enterprise agile transformation work. I do professional development and leadership coaching, speak, lots of speaking. I have this report that we're going to talk about today. Yeah. And um, uh, training, and I do my training typically in the IC Agile space through okay. an organization called SoftEd. I partner with them for providing training. What's your, your, because I'm a trainer as well, what's your kind of driving mission with the training? What do you want? What do you want the people who take your classes to walk away with that's uniquely yours? Yeah, I want, so I think what's true of training and consulting and coaching and enterprise transformation is I want everyone who interacts with me to walk away with a new perspective and tools that they can use, models okay. that they feel connected to, uh, that really moves them forward on their journey. That's that's my goal in all the work I do. All right, cool. Thank you. I, it's, it's interesting to me when I meet people who talk about working with high-performing teams because 
my route to coaching was the exact opposite. I, I, I got to coaching. Don't do that. No, that's not the right thing. Like everything was just like school of hard knocks the whole way through. And I'd hear stories about like, oh yeah, you know, our team just tasks on the fly. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, I, uh, it's, it's just, it's neat to me to hear that there's people that have had completely different experiences when, and that it does work that way sometimes. It does work that way sometimes. <laughs> now, to be fair, I've also had the kinds of teams you're talking about. They okay. don't all, you know, they don't start at maturity, but getting yeah. in there is really, it's really enriching. Do you find that, um, this is the last one I'll ask before we jump into the main topic. Yeah. Do you find that the teams you work with in terms of making that journey to a more mature state, are the people doing this stuff kind of different minded than they were, say, five, 10 years ago? Um. Let me make sure I understand that question. So when I'm working with teams, the people that I'm interacting with, are they different minded than they were five or 10 years yeah, ago? Yeah, like I, I've noticed that in the classes, the, the kind of people I get, the mindset they have, what they know, their level of awareness is very different now than it was five, 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, the, I think what we're seeing is the influence of Gen X and Gen Z, Gen X, millennial and Gen Z generations in corporations. And I also think we're seeing the impact of the pandemic. Uh, We all got a big wake up call right after 9-11 happened. I saw this in my, my dad. He, he was really moved by my life could end at any minute. Right. There was this realization. Uh, It was like Reagan was president all over again. (laughs) 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 Uh, The, uh, uh, pandemic thing has done the same thing. It's really shaken everybody up and gone. Maybe those millennials know what they're talking about and we should be working to live, not living to work. Yeah. We're seeing that translation and we're seeing, um, people's whole perspective on relationship has shifted in the last decade. All of our business work is built on relationship and you have to have relationship first. And you're even seeing that in places where it's much more, you know, manufacturing style work, much more hard labor work. You're even seeing relationship building happening in those spaces. I think we're just in the middle of a cultural tidal wave. Really. Yeah. I have a, a friend I just did an interview with who was like one level down from sea level and went back to scrum master because he, when he, he got laid off and then he went looking for scrum master jobs. Cause in the time off, he was like, I hate that. I don't, <laughs> nothing about that job is fun. I was trying to climb the ladder and I did, but I'd gra- rather go back to the work that I enjoy, which is being with teams and creating stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is kind of a cool, it's a cool, like, I guess, reset of people's needs and what they want. Yeah. All right. So on that note, let's jump into the main topic. So you put together this report with salary information. Yes. All right. Is that, how do you explain to people what the report offers? The people that are reading this report are agile coaches of some maker model. They okay. might be scrum masters also doing agile coaching. They might be in a different role also doing agile coaching. They might be only team level agile coaches. They might be enterprise agile coaches. They might be doing sort of outside the agile coaching realm, leadership and executive coaching or change management stuff. So those are the sort of the folks okay. that come to the come to the table for this survey. And the data is about all of us in that industry making our salary and uh, for full-time employees, making our salary transparent and for self-employed folks, making our rates and how we pay ourselves transparent. Uh, 
so that we can all negotiate better. The, this is really about building in transparency so that we can empower ourselves to better rates and more, more appropriate rates. So there's a lot of trust in that. You're trusting that if you share that information with somebody else, you're not going to go to your clients and be like, I'll come in for under that amount and try to steal your job. I mean, that, that, I think a lot of people would be nervous about that. When you ask people for their information, do they ever, how often are they unwilling? Well, the survey, I actually had 590 people respond to the survey this year. Okay. Only 390 of them finished the survey this year. Okay. So I think that's my rate of resistance. I personally find that in the agile communities, we are much more into the A, the idea of transparency and Uh B, uh, non-territorialism the right person will find you, the right rate will be there for the right client, right? There's yeah. this uh, sort of sense that it doesn't have to be competition. Okay. Has uh, that held during the pandemic? Yes. And uh, the pandemic did. Um, yes. And uh, no. Yeah. The, <laughs> um, uh, it certainly has helped for me, but I, I didn't, I wasn't hit hard by the pandemic. I actually found the pandemic was beneficial to my business. Okay. The, uh, people that were laid off because of the pandemic, people that were fired because of the pandemic, people that were downsized, whatever the word is that you're using, definitely yeah. were in a feast or famine, more famine than feast zone okay. for themselves. You know, the, we talk a lot about growth mindset in the agile communities. Yeah. And you, you know, getting to growth mindset also requires a level of security. Yep. Right. It's, it's hard a to little, be growth minded when you're trying to feed your family and can't figure out how you're going to do it. Right. You can teach a you can teach a man to fish, but it sure is easier for them to learn if they've been fed. That's essentially the, that's the way. To, yeah, that's a good twist on that. Okay, yeah. so so you you this is your second time, second year doing this survey, right? That's right. Okay. That's right. Um, what are the what are the, the big takeaways that you you have from from collecting all this information? Like, what are the things that stand out to you the most? Well, the biggest thing that stands out to me is the number of people that have come to me and said, I totally used this for negotiation. Thank you so much. I got more money than I thought I could. Um, okay. That's been really cool. Right. <laughs> like, yes, <laughs> do that. Um, I also shifted the way this year I was capturing diversity information. So I shifted okay. the gender labels and I shifted the race and ethnicity labels to be more inclusive okay. and more delineated. And the, there's a small percentage of people that like to tell me I'm full of it and I should stop doing that. It's nonsense, right? There's this like little bitty percentage. Yeah. And so that's been some sort of flack I've gotten in the report space. But you shouldn't. So are they saying you shouldn't be asking that because it's inappropriate to ask and it shouldn't matter? Or mm-hmm. they're just like, why, why do you have to know that? Like, what's the. The few deep conversations I've had about it have been. Um, this is nonsense. We don't need this. This isn't even a real thing. Like pay disparity isn't a thing. <laughs> and <laughs> said a bunch of white guys. <laughs> it totally is a bunch of white guys. I didn't want to say it, but since you I'm said a white it, guy, I feel like I there. can call uh, us out on the, that one. The people that are resistant are white yeah. men. They're really like angrily resistant. And mm-hmm. then I have a, a small number of white women that get uncomfortable. There's like discomfort in the conversation for them. Okay. Discomfort so, in the diversity questioning, not in the salary aspect of it. Yeah. In the diversity okay. question and having in that being part of the conversation. There's okay. a discomfort in it. Okay. So um, 
really cool stuff showed up in last year's report around that diversity stuff. The um, in full-time employment, as you would expect, women and minorities are paid less than white men. That's Mm -hmm. right. That absolutely is true in full-time and salaried stuff. In our self-employed space, now, mind you, the self-employed space has a little less statistical validity. It's a little shakier. But in the self-employed space, uh, white men get paid least. That the women and minorities, with the exception of Asian cultures, the women and minorities have a tendency to negotiate better rates for themselves. And do you know why that is? Have you been able to figure that out? I don't know why it is. I can only speculate. And my speculation is that when you're self-employed, you're in an equal power position with the client that is hiring you. As opposed to when you're full-time employed, you're in a uh, weakened power position. Okay. So that, that's one thing I wanted to ask you about, because you, you mentioned that people have said with this information, they're able to negotiate better salaries. Mm-hmm. And I know, I mean, for myself, I am not somebody who's good at that. Like you could tell me you can make more. And I still, I just, I don't, I don't have that spark that makes me want to negotiate. So I usually just walk in. I'm like, I need this much. And it's never based on what I could, could get. It's based on what I need. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have, I don't have the tools to negotiate salary well. And, and that power thing, equal power thing, I feel like that's p- part of that conversation too. Do people come to you looking for that information as well? Yes. Uh, the m- majority of the people that come to me looking for that information are women. Okay. And I generally send them to an organization called Ladies Get Paid. And it's a, okay. at least a U.S. national organization. It might be global, but it's at least U.S. national. And they help women build the negotiation skills necessary to negotiate for themselves. Okay. So um, men could go there too. Right? But, <laughs> but it is a learned skill. I mean, it seems, it I always feel like there's some people that love to haggle and they're really good at it. And I just always felt like I must have like missed that day, like when they gave that one out, because I, I just don't have it. Yeah, I was raised by, uh, um, you know, my dad is a business consultant. He knows how to negotiate. And okay. I was raised in that atmosphere. And so I have that skill set coming in. Uh, okay. There are two ways that I've negotiated. One is this here's the fair market value, here's the information I gathered and where I got it from, and why I think I'm worth this much from a market perspective. Mm-hmm. And that's one way to negotiate. The way I've been negotiating since I've been self employed has been a completely different technique. And I learned it from David Chilcott. So call out to David on his uh, skill. And I take two uh, like note cards or sticky notes. And I ask the other person on the other side to take two cards or sticky notes. And on one card, I write, this is the least I'll take before I feel like you're taking advantage of me. And this is the most I'll take before I feel like I'm taking advantage of you. And then they do the thing in reverse. This is the least we'll pay before like we feel like we're yeah, taking yeah. advantage of you. And this is the most we'll pay before we feel like you're taking advantage of us. And then we show our numbers at the same time and start the what makes sense for us conversation. Okay. And it's another level of transparency. I essentially get a look at their budget and they right. get a look at my budget. And we just talk about money. And I'm, I work really hard to make money less uncomfortable for everybody involved. Okay. So you're coming to that table with the idea that if it's all out in the open, let's just talk about it. The same way we do everything else in Agile, we're like, look, here's the thing. Let's just deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. But money always makes it weird for some people like me. Yeah. Well, money makes it weird for some people. And culturally here in the US, for sure, 
we yeah. are encouraged not to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. But it does have an impact on you. You used the phrase a few minutes ago, why am I worth this much? Mm-hmm. Um, that, I mean, I, saw, I have a story I'm going to share in a minute, but we're finding out what someone else was paid, someone that I felt like I was more skilled than, and I was being paid less than them. That made me feel like my worth less than another person to the people I work for. Mm-hmm. That is that is a potential consequence. It takes this is where emotional intelligence comes into play. It okay. takes understanding. Here you've just you've to step out of the emotion of it. Here's my skill set. Yeah. Here's what those skill sets are worth on the market, which means that I as an employee are worth this much based on these skill sets. Okay. And uh, you know, I have another story. Actually, one of the reason I know about ladies get paid. I spoke. Uh, um, I spoke to a woman, and she said, "You know, I." talked about salary with my peer and we were the same title, same skills, same experience, and they were getting paid more than me. And I took that information to HR and said, this isn't okay. And she had to push hard to get them to come up off of it. And there was some call it political backlash for the conversation right. that happened at all. And, you know, we talk about, you know, in the U S it's legal to talk about what you get paid. Yeah. And you have a political retribution typically inside your organization to have that conversation. There's a tax you have to pay for it. Yeah. But right. did the person get paid in the end? Uh, she did. She did. Okay. She got, she got the increase in the end and it turned out really good for her. Okay. That kind of conversation mm-hmm. is what we want to start having. And there's been a push in cult court, corporate culture for diversity, equity, and inclusion, and it includes this conversation. Okay. So I think there's opportunity for people to turn it around yeah. in this, in this time, even if they didn't have success in the past. Okay. And when you're, when you're talking with people about this and they're trying to assess whether or not, you know, they're, they're going to ask for more, maybe they want to switch jobs or something like that. There's more in that conversation than just revenue, like more than just pay. Is that part of what you're looking at or is that sort of a separate, separate thing? Yeah, I didn't look at that last year in the 2021 report. I did not have that information. So in the 2022 report, I took that feedback in and we had lots of questions around benefits and training and da, 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 right. And so there's going to be a lot more content around that okay. in the 2022 report. I don't have any preliminary looks at that information yet, but the, okay. uh, but that's the idea. We should have a much more um, robust picture of pay okay. in this year's report. Anything you've seen so far that you are able to talk about that's like screaming at you loudly enough that you can be like, yes, this is a thing now? Uh, well, the only thing I've gotten to so far is the actual pay data. And for that, I can say in the US, the average base salary now is around 144K. And that's for how, with how many years of experience? don't have that crosshatch yet okay. <laughs> so, because there are a lot of people who just like take a CSM class and say they're an agile coach on LinkedIn and then yeah. they're not. Yeah, the, the CSM certification certifies you with the knowledge to be a scrum master. And if you've never been a scrum master before, that means you're a junior scrum master. And that is one of the challenges that uh, exists in our industry. Um, so, so I don't know if, if I should, I'm a CST. So I mm-hmm. teach CSM and I always tell them at the end of the class that when you get that certification, you're in the agile community's eyes, you're a 16 year old that walked out of the DMV with a driver's license on your 16th birthday. 100%. <laughs> 100%. 
Um, okay. So one of the things I wanted to ask you about is something specific I noticed in the last report that I wasn't expecting. And that as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh my gosh, like you could totally use this. If I was a scrum master and I looked at that report from last year, I would be able to see data about how many years of experience I need, what kind, maybe what kind of certifications people have, but also social media usage and things like that. Mm-hmm. So you could basically craft a plan for how to grow into becoming a coach if that was your path, right? Yeah, 100%. Okay. Uh, in fact, uh, when I talked about the report at the Agile Vir- Virtual Summit uh, just this month, um, the one of the people said to me, hey, I'm trying to craft a, craft a career path. And they asked me a question, of course, in that moment, it was way too complicated a question to answer. And they, we caught up later, we caught up after the event and they're looking for how do I craft a career path? Now I have not only data, but definitions, what these roles mean. And we talked about the difference between a junior and a senior scrum master, a junior and a senior agile coach, a junior and a senior enterprise coach. So I'm going to include that, uh, those definitions and sort of examples of how you could craft a career path in the 2022 report with a big old disclaimer that your mileage may vary and it's very dependent on context. And many of us have jumped off that career path need. We don't, we're not on it anymore. Yeah. We don't worry about it anymore. Well, I think when you, if you get to a certain level of coaching with a certain coaching mindset, that's what you're doing. I mean, you're like in that, in that moment for an extended period, you're probably not worrying about like, how do I get to be the next level of coaching? I mean, you're, you're building your skills, but it's all you're going to get a promotion. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm waiting for, I, I'm, it's on the horizon. I'm waiting for an organization to have a chief agile officer. I'm surprised they don't have that yet. I haven't seen it. Maybe it exists. I'm, I'm compiling a list of jobs that should exist. I think I'm going to add that to it. Yeah. Um, and so I have a bunch of random questions and one of them is on this topic. Why aren't there agents who advocate for jobs and salaries on behalf of IT workers? Presumably, those are recruiters. But the recruiters work for the company and themselves, not for the person they're getting hired. That is the conflict of interest. So that's weird. That would be like if all the agents only worked for the studios or the labels. Okay. Yeah. So I, I think there's probably room. So here's the Here's the niche that somebody could go into. I think there's probably room for somebody to be an agent for people that are trying to get jobs. I know okay. there are for like the senior level leadership, there are agents. There's yeah. folks yeah. looking for here's VP roles, here's C-suite roles and those sorts of things. The challenge, I think at our levels is that the amount of money we'd need to pay to make that work to, okay. to right? Yeah, like yeah. how would, I'm not sure the, it's not, I'm not sure it's an economically sound yeah. approach. If you were the agent and you were dealing with people who are going to top out at 150, 140, 150, it'd be hard to make a living off of that. Right. Because, okay. you know, most places you need 140, 150 to live comfortably. Yeah. So what can I pay you? It's an extra yeah. cost. So, okay. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, what about certifications? Are there some that you've, you find like trend-wise are more valuable than others or that you kind of have to have? I mean, you have, you have a bunch of certifications and, and competing certifications too. Yeah. Um, 
are there some that like when I get people all the time who are looking for like, what certification should I get? Well, I'm like, well, obviously you should, you should take my classes and get those. But <laughs> beyond that, uh, I don't know. I mean, is, yeah. is safe the thing? Or is there something else you should get? There's a lot of, I'm going to call it divisive opinions about safe in the market. Yeah. If you're going into an organization, if you want to work for an organization that's using safe, then yes, you should have a safe certification. Uh, if you want to work in an organization that's using Scrum, then yes, you probably should have something from a Scrum certification perspective. I'm personally drawn to Scrum.org over Scrum Alliance. Okay, uh, that's just a personal opinion, and uh, not necessarily, you know, the end-all, be-all of instruction there yep. uh, um, from the Scrum perspective. Um, but if you look at my stuff, what you'll see is a whole bunch of IC Agile. Yeah. And IC Agile, what I really like about IC Agile, there's two things I like about it a whole lot. One is it's Agile agnostic. So it doesn't matter if I'm using Scrum or Kanban or Lean or XP or anything else. I'm going to f- understand the problem and I'm going to pick the tool that works for that problem. Okay. And that I really like that flexibility and learning and the broad amount of information you get as a result of learning in those paths. Okay. The other thing I really like about it is I don't have to pay a fee as a person who has a certification and I don't have to report my continuing education. There's an assumption that as a grown up, I'm going to continue to educate myself and their, their month, their economic model is to charge the organizations that are providing yeah. classes. And I just think that's a, I think that's a one more sound economic model and also more fair to the learners. Okay. So this, you kind of walk, walk me right up to my next question. Great. People that are trying to improve their employability or salary increaseability in coaching or in agile, should they still get PMP? Cause that's not agile and it goes against everything you just said, but yeah. So interestingly, I put, I've had my PMP for about 20 years or something like that. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, the I put a um, post out on LinkedIn and said, "Should I let this lapse?" Now, for PMP, if you no, let it, no, wait, wait, listen, don't ever have to take that test again. <laughs> if you let your PMP lapse, you have to retest. So it's a big ask, but I'm not sure I need it anymore. I have 20 years of experience in project management. Mm-hmm. Would I even need that certification at this point? So there's. <laughs> There's this yeah. part of me that's like, I don't know if I need it anymore. So I did re-up this year, but my next year's turnaround, I may not. Okay. And I feel the same way about Scrum Alliance certifications. Okay. I, I have more than a decade of experience at this point in Scrum practice, Kanban practice, and I have a ton of IC Agile certification to compensate right. for that. And um, Scrum.org doesn't charge me either to keep my certification up. So. Okay. I just keep my scrum.org certification and my IC Agile certifications. I think that might be enough. Okay. I'm, at the place I am in, I'm looking at different kinds of certifications that aren't even in the Agile field. Things like um, systems theory and organizational development and change management and that sort of yeah. thing. So I'm going to be out on a different path anyway. But so what about are, somebody who's coming up though? Yeah. Folks that are just starting out, look at the organizations you want to work for. What do they require for those roles? Get those certifications. That's sort of how okay. I feel about it. It's a door opener. Yeah. It's not actually a money differentiator. The, okay. the big differentiator for money is time in the field. Okay. The longer you've done it, the more likely you are to get paid higher. All right. What about a college degree? Is that a, 
huge deal? <laughs> no. <laughs> I see. I've always felt like it wasn't, but I know people, a lot of people that don't have it, they feel like it's a strike against them. I was like, no one's even going to ask. No one cares. It's a door opener. There's a, there's a healthcare company in the Nashville area that you can't get pat. You can't get to a director level unless you have a master's degree. Okay. Right. So if you worked for that company, okay, the college degree is important. It opens yeah. a door for you and your career ladder, if that's what you want. The, the real thing is about certifications and degrees is to look at the industry, look where you want to be working and who you want to be working with and see if that makes a difference in your ability to open the door. To get in the room. Yeah. yeah. That's okay. really what that's about. Get in the room. That's what those certifications are about. And, that, and I would say that's the same thing with CSM, CSPO, or PSM. And I mean, any, any of those kind of entry level ones, I'm like, th- if you don't have it, it might keep you from getting an interview. But once you're in the door, it's not like I, I, people that want the advanced certifications too. I'm usually like, well, it's if you can get in the room and you can't sell yourself on, sell them on you at that point, I don't think an extra certification is going to get you the job. I will tell you that I see agile, agile coaching certifications do in fact, mm-hmm. open the door for agile coach roles. Um, okay. That is so scrum master scrum certifications, open the door, agile coaching. I see agile, agile coach certs. And people want to know that you've gone through those like international coaching things and and all of that to get. Not international coaching. Okay. I see agile coaching training for agile coaching roles. Got it. Okay. Sorry. And there's a, there's a differentiation there. Agile coaching includes lots of skill sets that ICF international coaching federation doesn't include. Right. ICF. Style coaching is one factor of an agile coach's function. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's so there's going to be more to it. Okay. So if somebody is trying to rise up to that level, the IC agile stuff is going to be more valuable for them. Give them more tools, I guess. That's right. That's right. Um, So the phrase that I'm going to try not to butcher, I wanted to ask you about the statistical validity. There we go. I got it (laughs) of of the report you're working on now. Okay. So. Um, last year's report, we had 156 respondents, not very statistically valid this year. Um, we have 393, 390 and some change, um, folks fully participating in the report. If I go to LinkedIn and I search for people that have agile coach in their job title, we get 31,000 returns. Wow. So I don't know that that's necessarily the best source of truth for the number of agile coaches in the field. And since 91% of our participants use LinkedIn, it feels like it's probably an okay source since we okay. don't have a, a, tr- a source of truth place to count it. Um, given that, that means that this year I have a 95% confidence rating that should the survey be given again by somebody else, we would find the same results plus or minus 5%. Wow. Yeah. So we have okay. really good statistical chutzpah this year, as okay. it were. <laughs> um, the challenge is for the self, self-employed folks. If I do that same search on LinkedIn and I include founder in their title, yeah. I get 1,300 Agile coaches. And the we only had 35 people. Uh, actually, I was just cleaning the data. I think it's a little less than 35 people uh, okay. respond from a self-employed perspective. And that means we've got 95% confidence that, that would we'd have a similar result, but the margin of error is plus or minus 16%. So we have to just keep in mind that there's a much wider potential for wrongness in the self-employed space. Okay. And and I I just want to check on this. You began this project 
for fun, right? Like, yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, one of, I am a data nerd, so it is always fun for me, but the, uh, for the real reason I did this is because I have my own business and I didn't know how okay. to charge for myself and finding what people charge for themselves is almost nil. And then I thought, well, I bet everybody else has the same problem. Let's get a whole bunch of data together and all be empowered with the information. So, you know, okay. I'm hoping it'll help everybody, not just me. And, um, you know, in the self-employed world, we subcontract each other all the time. So it's really useful in that space too, to have these conversations. Okay. So what are, I'm curious about one thing with the employers, um, and uh, this is where I'll tell the story. So there's another guy I knew was working at a company that I was considering going to. And try to say this is e- with as little ego as possible. I am better at what I do than he is. Okay. And I feel like I can say that. And is he listening to this podcast? I doubt it. <laughs> um, but he, he made a certain amount. And so I asked for that amount and they came in like 20 or 30 grand below. I had more experience. And yeah. And one when I found out he, how much this person made at the company they were at, it soured me on the company that I was currently at, even though it was a great job. Mm-hmm. Just knowing that I was making that much less, like, I was like, this isn't fair. And when that other company offered me less than that other person, I was like, how? And, and it just it really put me in a dark place, but I'm wondering for employers, like, should they be looking at this report and considering that? And like you said, that person came in and asked for an increase because somebody else was getting more. Um, they could be using this to up their game as well. Right. Absolutely. And in this market, they better be upping their game. Uh, the, right now we're in an employee's market, not an employer's market from a job, a job yeah. perspective, especially in the agile space especially in the agile space. And uh, if they want a coaching competency inside their organization, they should absolutely leverage this. Uh, There was um, a woman I talked to who is a consultant agile coach working for a large consulting firm. Uh, She's not working there anymore, by the way. And I think she got soured. And um, she took this, this report in and posted it in the agile coaching channel there for all the other consultants that were agile coaches. And it created a firestorm of conversation. I can imagine that would be really operation department. But they started talking about it. Now I don't know what the final result was of that. However, that's what I wanted was people to start talking about it uh, from a place of appropriateness. Yeah, that, that's. Well, do you think it's it's fair to assume that I know, I know at the company I work at that there are salary bans for certain roles. And they're, they've been working really hard to develop a clear path. Like if you're at this level and you want to be at this level, here's the things you need to add to your tool belt to be able to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you don't have that, then it's just like, yeah, that person makes more than you do. And that's yeah. it. Yeah. The, uh, so there's pros and cons to that approach. One, who gets to assess whether or not that tool's in my tool belt? Mm-hmm. If that person is assessing me, has a bias against yeah. me for some reason, they would not admit that I have that tool in my tool belt. So that's one challenge that we run into with that model. Another challenge we run into that model is I've seen people that love being a scrum master and they don't want to go past scrum master. They're really happy there and they cap out and they're like, well, how do I continue to make more money? It's like engineers who don't want to be managers. Yeah. Right. This is like, well, then how do I make more money? And the, uh, you don't, you don't, which is 
really demoralizing and disengaging for essentially a very skilled human in your space. But only if I I want to kind of park on this topic for a second. I think only if, if the only way you're looking at your total compensation is just dollars, because if, if it's a job that you choose to do because you're passionate about it and that's what you love, that's part of, you get to go do something you like every day. Yeah. Now I don't know the count of this, but how many people are actually doing that? I, I, not a, not a lot. And I, not and this a lot. Is something I wake up every day and I'm like, I feel like I've been like super blessed in a lot of ways, but one of them is I love my freaking job. I work on the week. I work way too much because my hobbies are all related to my job. Yeah. I love what I do. And not a lot of people can say that. The, I love what I do also. And even when I love what I do, if I'm in an environment that provides that kind of recognition, financial recognition for increased Mm -hmm. scale, and I stop getting continued recognition, it's going to have an impact on me. I made a choice to step off the ladder. It's why I became self-employed. Like money was no longer the conversation for me. And I was in systems where money was the conversation and they don't know how to reward people who aren't like money's not it. So like, I know. Have you ever seen MacGyver? Right. Right. And so, so I think that's part of the problem. The other, you know, part of the problem is I actually think that these two things should be separate. I think we should get paid as humans who are providing our time for money, right? It's a transaction. That's a transactional part of our relationship with a company. So we should get paid and we should get paid enough not to have to worry about money. So it stops being a concern for everybody. And then on the other side, we should be doing recognition that's based on growth and performance that's not related to money. So you get some, I don't know, badges, awards, gamify it, do something over there that makes it like a thing that I can do. And as objective as possible, we want to take as much subjectivity out of it as we can. Okay. Right. So that's, that's sort of how I believe that that works. There's a really great organization in the uh, Northwest of the United States called Gravity Payments. And they did that. They said, everybody's going to make no less than this much money. Uh, this, um, and then the result was their, cust- their employee engagement went up, their customer service went up, their revenue went up, their profit went up. All the people that work for them, they had a baby boom of people finally having babies because they could afford to. They had a housing boom of people buying houses because they could afford to. Generally speaking, they uh, raised the, I don't know, happiness quotient of their community. And because they raised that happiness quotient, it rippled. It impacted the community around them. And I really think that's the conversation we should be having. Yeah. One thing companies could do right now, without having to go to that extreme, one thing companies could do right now is say, people who come into this role typically make between this and this, this is our pay band. And they should put that on their job postings. This is our pay band. And people who make the lower end of our pay band, the top, the bottom 5% have these skill sets and this much experience. And the top 5% have these skill sets and this much experience. And now you have a negotiation tool mm-hmm. that you're empowered with and you won't apply if it's not in your bandwidth. Yeah. You can make a, a more informed choice about whether or not you want to spend time working on it. Cause that right. is always a drag when you find a gig that sounds awesome. And then they finally tell you, they want to pay you as an amount. And you're like, what? Like, how would I, anyone work here? <laughs> right. I, you know, the amount of money that agile coaches should be making 
is dramatically higher than the amount that people want to pay, pay agile coaches on, on the ground. And you'll see them. One of the ways they'll do with it, deal with it is say, oh, well, we really want a scrum master that does some agile coaching, which is a nice way to underpay your agile coaches. So, okay. I, I always little, feel like I'm we, a little hot about this topic. I'm well, sorry. No, so <laughs> I, I always, when I see, I tell people in class, like if you see a job posting that says agile project manager, that job posting should really say, we don't know what agile is. Right. Um, or we want scrum master slash product owner. Like we want to fail. Right. Um, but that also, I think can be a filtering mechanism for the people that are applying. And, and that happiness thing that you mentioned, I want to go back to that for a second, because that mm-hmm. is a, there was a time where I was like, happiness metrics are stupid, like just dumb, just do your job. But now when there's so many more jobs than there are, so we can't find coaches fast enough where I work, like not good ones. Um, that kind of stuff matters now a lot yeah. more. Yeah, it really does. And the um, that's part of the culture, the business culture shift we've been talking about that that shift over the last 10 years is no happiness does matter. And we can see it in the data. Yeah. If you go look at the Gallup American state of American workforce report, I think is what it's called. It'll tell you, you, you increase profitability, sales, revenue, employee engagement, uh, sales, revenue, productivity, predictability, um, the amount that the board sees a return on their investment, all of those things increase if you increase employee engagement. Wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So I, I want to twist on that. This is probably going to be my last question about this topic. Okay. But when I was first starting out, it was the beginning of the dot-com boom. And all I had to do was answer my phone and my salary went up. Like somebody called, you want to come work here for six months? I was like, yeah. I just kept switching jobs. And that was how I would get an increase. And if I stayed at a job, I knew that I, maybe I'm going to get like 2% a year or something like that, but it's not going to be a significant increase. If I wanted a leap, I had to switch. Are you tracking how long people are staying at certain, like at one place or another, or is it just looking at the job of being a coach in general? Yeah, we'll have that data this year. That was okay. one of the requests from last year is that we add that. So this year we'll have how long have you been in the role? And um, we're also going to include what role did you come to Agile Coaching through? Oh, so okay. did you start as a Scrum Master or an engineer or a product person? Like where did you get to Agile Coaching? Wow. From. So this is, it's not just, I mean, what's interesting to me, and I saw this with all the other data you have, including like how much did you get for training and speaking and things like that it really provides you with more than just the salary information because it's helping somebody understand like, how can I carve a path for myself, mm-hmm. right? How can I create my own plan for, you, know, you mentioned things like emotional intelligence and, and stuff like that. What things do I need to start to study and learn about to be able to move up to that next level that I want to get to? Yeah. yeah. You know, um, you mentioned something about having to leave a company to make more money. That yeah. still happens today. Okay. And part of the limiting factor is some HR policy that says we're only allowed to, per- to give X percent to a person. Yeah. Somebody made a decision about a policy, change the policy. <laughs> right? Yeah, uh, but there's forms that have to be filled out. And- all right. And it's such a hassle to get everybody to agree that if a person looks at the market and says, no, I'm worth this much. And when I talk to other companies, I know I could make this much. Yeah. You should be paying me this much. Just pay them. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> 
<laughs> and I know that's easy to say because I'm not in the financial picture of those companies. I know that's easy to say from out here, but figure it out. Yeah. If you want to keep the talent, pay them so that they yeah. stop worrying about it. Okay. I, I kind of don't want to ask you any more questions. I want to just leave it there. <laughs> Is there anything that we haven't covered that you think people should know about, about the report? Uh, I don't think so. There will be a lot more slicing and dicing this year. So I'm probably going to have a summary report and a full report okay. this year. Uh, Cause it's so much <laughs> data. The, um, you know, I could tell you that right now, well, let's see, I talked about USD. They make on average 144 a year and we're looking at bonuses around on average 24K, no, 16K, sorry, 16K. And, um, and that's for staff. That's for full-time folks. And okay. the um, average company investment in continuing education is around two and a half K. Okay. So no. that, that is more than just straight pay. I mean, the bonus and, and how much they're putting into continuing in, that's an important part of that. Yeah. If you put all that together, it's about on average 163 a year. Okay. And you're, and you're not tracking anything about insurance, healthcare or anything like that, right? I do track that. I just don't have it sitting in front of me right now. Okay. So the, the healthcare that's really, that'll be a really interesting thing to see too. Yeah. The, um, what, I, what I asked the full-time people was how much are you paying out of pocket? And when I ask the self-employed people is how much are you paying for your benefits? So yeah. we should have a comparison. I actually think that will be really interesting information because lots of people, they're like, well, I pay $250 a month or whatever, and my company pays the rest, but they don't actually know how much it costs the company Yeah, for those benefits. I just, I find it interesting when I talk to people who work at really big companies and they tell me about their healthcare, but you know, like, I don't understand <laughs> Yeah. It works. I just feel like we just keep paying and then we have to pay more to actually go do the thing that we're already paying to not have to pay to do. Yeah. Um, but whatever, that's healthcare. I don't want to go down that depressing no, rabbit hole. That's a whole other rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. um, so I want to talk just for, for a second about your classes. I want to make sure we give yeah. some time to that. So what are the things you're teaching right now that are sort of your, your, your most passionate about? So I teach... Through SoftEd, if you want a certification, I teach in the IC Agile community, Agile team facilitation, Agile coaching, um, agility in the enterprise, and coaching Agile transitions. Those are the ones I'm the most passionate about uh, okay. personally. But I also teach in the product um, learning paths and in the project management learning path because there are still roles that are Agile project management. We want to help enable them to start the movement towards more agility. So okay. uh, both of those paths um, are in my repertoire as it were. And the, um, personally on my own business, I teach, um, emotional intelligence, conflict management, and communication standardly built around the nonviolent communication models. Wow. That's very cool. Yeah. I would have started out with some more, would you be willing type questions? Um, <laughs> so I want to, I want to call it one final thing. You're somebody, we talked about this during the pre-interview. I, I find that people that are coaches, tend to go to the, like, I want to do enterprise or I want to do team. Mm -hmm. Like I'm team. I, you can put me in a room with executives and I can, can hold my ground, but not with a degree of like ease. You can put me in a room with a team. I'm good. I can do that all day. But you said you're comfortable at both of those as well as the middle layer. Yes. Uh, part of it is my sort of, um, what do I call it? Um, there's a word I'm looking for. Maybe you can come up with it. Like okay. I just don't, 
I don't see the title. I mean, I know that there's a title. I see the title, but it's just, you're just another just, human. You're just another human like, on another team. These aren't the droids <laughs> you're looking for. It's all right. just coaching. Okay. It's all just coaching. And yes, with leaders, you have to deal with a different level of ego typically. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like on teams, if you've got a tech leader who thinks they're the big bad, you've got an ego to deal with. Um, there's, there's always going to be some level of ego. You see a little more ego in the leadership levels than you do in the team levels. Yeah. Uh, middle management, I have I have deep empathy for, <laughs> and I'm working on a book to help serve them some too. The middle management often gets squished between those two ends, and yeah. we call them in agile communities, we call them the frozen middle. And um, uh, I want to get them unstuck. You know, I want to get I want to unfreeze them. Yeah. So uh, there's a little bit of that too. I've partnered with folks that prefer the enterprise level. And then I work in at the middle management or team level. I've partnered the other way around. I don't have any, okay. any skin in that game. And you're including the PMO at that middle level, right? For the most uh, part. Yeah. Unless they're reporting directly to the CEO. Yes. I would include okay. them at the middle, the middle level. All right, cool. So if people want to learn more about your classes or the report, or just get in touch with you with follow-up questions, what's the best way for them to track you down? Uh, they're the two most the two easiest ways are to go to my website, liberatedelephant.com, and you okay. can book a 30-minute time with me to chat. You can check out my services and the different stuff I provide there. Uh, you could also go to LinkedIn and okay. follow me there. I have I post out there all the time about stuff going on in my world. Okay, and okay. Uh, they're welcome to follow me there and connect and chat there. And we can see what, what works best for a conversation. I'm oh, all about God. the conversation though. Reach out. Excellent. For Reach so out why for is chat. it called liberated elephant? Well, uh, that's, that. that's kind of <laughs> my, so my superpower is seeing chinks in the armor. Okay. I'm really good at seeing the chink in the armor and typically we're just getting in our own way. So we become the elephant in the room. Nobody will talk about. Wow. And so I'm working to get those elephants out of the way. All right. That's excellent. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for all the work that you're doing on behalf of the community, making it better for everybody. Yes, my pleasure. And thanks for having me today. Cool. Thanks for being here. If you learn to work the old way, but the new way is what you need. My job to make that switch from old to new.